This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Now, Carrie Kerpin. Okay, so I'm a really longtime fangirl of this next interview subject. Be prepared to be blown away. On this interview, I speak to Sharon Fetter. Sharon Fetter is the chief digital officer of Rachel Ray's parent company, Watch Entertainment. Before that, she was the COO and a variety of other roles at Mashable, which she joined when there was only a handful of people. You'll hear her story, including the story before she got to Mashable, her love of journalism and how that led her to where she is today. And I'm telling you, the insights are through the roof. Take a listen. Welcome, Sharon, to the show. Carrie, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. I am so happy to have you here. And as I've told you before, I am a longtime fan and we have had this mutual online relationship forever and have yes. never gotten the chance to do this live. And it's a big moment. Oh, I'm so excited. This is great. Me too. All right. Now, Sharon, I am pretty, pretty well familiarized with your career, but I would actually love to hear it from your mouth from the beginning of how you got to where you are today. Well, I'd be happy to. Um, so I'll start off with my love and appreciation for journalism and solid content. And I think for me, that really started in high school um, pretty early on. And I went to Edward R. Murrow High School. Um, you know, great wow. name. Yeah, it was they, a sign. You know, Exactly. And I was I was a journalism geek. I was in the journalism room, you know, writing away, editing away. And I had a bunch of opportunities that came about over uh, that time that really led me to where I am. You know, the first being a summer writing program um, with a nonprofit in New York called New Youth Communications that then led to another opportunity to take uh, weekend entertainment journalism courses with Columbia University um, and not only ignited my love and passion for Broadway and musical theater, um, but really showed me the future of working in newsrooms and connecting with audiences. Um, and, you know, and that was at a time before really the internet and social media had even taken off. And so I went off to college. I spent a year at Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts, um, then went to New Paltz and fell in love with the Hudson Valley. That location being perfect because it really enabled me to spend um, my last you know, year or so in college commuting into the city and interning and spending time in organizations. And so over the course of those couple of years, I worked in book publishing and then I um, intern with the Revlon Run Walk. And this was as Facebook had just been taking off. A part of my role was to develop um, interest and awareness for the Run Walk uh, with college students on Facebook. And it was really, really cool and really early because it was before, you know, social media marketing was was even a thing. 
Um, and I graduated school and I really had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I was mm. interested in journalism, but I don't think I was ready to start my career and I wanted to explore. And so what I did was I took a year and I joined a Jewish nonprofit. Um, ironically, I actually spent that time traveling and helping to, um, create online content um, and also uh, journalism conferences for Jewish college students, which was a really, really fun time. Um, and then segue, because um, in a transition that made absolutely no sense, but is is actually been very helpful for my career, I went to um, a media agency. I went to Media Edge. Um, wow, my thinking being, this I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, I had been at Media Edge. I was a print planner, and I had just loved magazines. I grew up obsessed with magazines. My dream was to become the managing editor of one. And it was such interesting experience because it gave me this tremendous exposure um, as a very junior, junior business person. Um, but it was also at the start of real dysfunction within the print space. Um, and so I started to see, you know, accounts becoming smaller and smaller and had to make some real decisions. You know, was I going to continue within print? Was I going to transition into digital media, uh, which was a really interesting option? Or was I going to try something new? And I ultimately decided to try something new. And I found myself in startup PR. And, you know, I would really label this part of my career as the discovery and exploration phase. Um, because, you know, I hadn't had much experience exposure to these areas. And I thought that there was a lot to learn. And so within startup PR, um, I worked for a fantastic agency called Brew. Um, and I had a lot of fun uh, learning all about, you know, what was happening in the space. I mean, in 2007, there was a lot of activity. Um, of course. And, yeah. Startups, that was the time. <laughs> that was wow. the time. And I started to get kind of envious. You know, I felt like I was on the wrong side of the table. Wow. And I, I had been at the time, and this is where things get very interesting, helping my boyfriend, Adam, with a startup he had just joined called Mashable. And I would go to their events and I'd help with little things, make suggestions here and there for editorial and PR. Um, and they knew that I was itching to do something else. In fact, I thought, you know, maybe I'd gain some experience helping them and I'd write a book. Um, I was very interested in writing books at the time. And, uh, you know, they said, well, why don't you join us? Why don't you help? You'll, you know, you'll build some things here and then you'll move on and you'll do, you'll do your book thing. And I thought, great. And I had absolutely no idea what I was getting into. Sharon, um, how many people were there at that time? Oh, it was a handful of us. It I, was, I you know, you on one hand. Oh, okay. And it was phenomenal because there was this core team of Adam Ostro, Adam Hirsch, um, and Pete Cashmore. Yeah. And, you know, they took me in and they, oh they taught me, you know, how to navigate a CMS. Um, and, you know, they let me start to, um, make plans, you know, to say, you know, well, what if we were to do things this way? What if we were to do things that way? And really what they allowed me to do is create some infrastructure uh, for the editorial team. And before I knew it, you know, it wasn't a part-time job and it wasn't a passing thing. It was me creating the infrastructure for editorial and then community and then native advertising and then HR. And it kept growing and growing. And it was incredible because it was exactly the thing that I had craved when I was in that oh. PR job. I just wanted to be building. I wanted to see all these ideas turning into things that other people can touch and feel. And it was such a phenomenal thing 
to see a brand that nobody had ever heard of grow into something with such a deeply passionate community. And so for me, it was um, just a tremendous experience where I learned so much on the job. And I started at the most junior level of, uh, of editorial and, and grew the team there such that um, you know, when I eventually exited that role in 2013, I think there were close to 100 people in the company. And so, you know, for us, it was this brand that we really believed in that we felt could have such a tremendous impact on the way that we do business, uh, on the way that we partake in the world. Um, and, you know, we, during that time, created these partnerships with people at the UN Foundation, at the 92nd Street Y, so that, you know, the programs we were building could have this, this actual um, touch point with people all over the world. And I know that you and I, <laughs> um, while we didn't meet in passing, we were at the same event. We were at the Well, of course I was there. It. But we yep. were, you weren't talking to me at that event. So why don't you I share wasn't. that story? So, so the story is that Adam and I actually continued to both work at that same company in different roles for many years. Um, you know, I went on to be managing editor at that point, And I thought I was just going to one of our conferences. But it turns out he was proposing to me on stage, which was a phenomenal moment in time. A little embarrassing for me as well. Oh, no. Oh, no. It was as somebody who was in the audience. It was a moment that was so genuine and not it was what I loved about it, Sharon, was that that it was like, yes, it was in front of everybody, but it did not feel showy or it was just such a pure moment. Like I will never forget it. And I've actually seen public proposals. I, I thought it was so genuine and so beautiful. And just, just in the context of growing this company and being a part of it together, like it was just, it was really, really inspiring and yeah. beautiful. Well, and I think that's the thing that that company uh, was and continues to be so much a part of our lives. You know, mm -hmm. we really worked heads down for so many years to to build it into what it is, um, you know, and I'm I'm so excited to see it continuing to grow and take new direction. For me, one of the most exciting points of that was this this growing partnership that we developed, um, like I said, with UN Foundation 92nd Street Y. And one of the things that developed there uh, was Giving Tuesday. And it's this global day of giving, um, yep. which happens right after Thanksgiving. And that's actually something that I've continued to work on in my job with Rachel Ray, where we're able to give people the tools, give nonprofits the tools and companies the tools to give back on, on this global level and, and help people really explore the causes that they are so, they care so much about. Um, mm. And so, so moving into, I'll, I'll give you the short version of the career. So we built the company. I loved it. I went from, you know, managing editor then to publisher um, and developed our native, native advertising programming, um, you know, developing um, how our, you know, advertising, you know, can be wrapped around community and content and events. And then, you know, found myself in the COO role. And I absolutely loved it. Um, but, you know, I decided there was this point in time where this company had become my entire life. And yep. it was very, very eager to to see what was happening outside of the company and and learn this broader skill base. Yeah. Um, you know, especially because the level of energy happening in the industry at that time. 
And I decided to eventually leave. And I found myself at Rachel Ray's holding company. Um, and it was our president and COO who had recruited me into this role. And, you know, this was um, somebody with an incredible background as an investment baker. Um, you know, he had been running the portfolio of 12 different businesses across media, media manufacturing and philanthropy. And this seemed to me to be a great opportunity to expand my knowledge base and get my hands on an incredibly expansive fan base um, wow. to explore community programs. And so um, it's been incredible because over the last two and a half years, um, I've gotten the opportunity to work on things as varied as our nine-year-old music and food festivals, which have been happening in Austin uh, during South by Southwest and now expanding them to Chicago, um, as well as now launching, you know, a national furniture line in addition to, you know, our media and, um, you know, our philanthropy. So, you know, it's a really interesting experience to come into work every day and really be able to work on such varied projects and think about, um, you know, in all of this innovation that's happening in technology right now, in social media, in storytelling, you know, how do we take those things and apply them across our brand? In listening to your story, I mean, both with Mashable and now at Watch, you really are responsible for launching new things, whether you were at Mashable with a handful of people doing this at, at a long time ago or now launching new things using digital. What what do you think goes into when you're like launching the new furniture line, you're saying, or anything along those lines? What do you think goes into a successful digital launch? I mean, I cannot imagine what it must have been like being at Mashable when that was growing like that. Um, and it, I'm sure it's a little bit different when you're doing something like a furniture line. But, but what are some of the commonalities you see in terms of a digital launch and what goes into making it successful? Sure. I think so much of it is understanding your audience or your consumer base and what it is they're looking for. I think whether you're talking about, you know, the media industry or the manufacturing industry, you're really talking about catering to people and their needs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whether it's at Mashable and developing a new content vertical, you know, are you creating something of value that appeals to um, the readership that needs to consume it and find you know, find that it's useful to them, um, as well as the advertiser that's essentially funding it. Um, and, you know, if you're manufacturing, you know, are you creating a product that this, um, this consumer is going to want to buy? And I've been very lucky because at the end of the day, um, the core products that I've been working with across both companies have been incredibly solid. You know, they've mm. they've been on trend. They've, you know, they've anticipated those needs. Um, and so that when it comes to marketing them um, from the marketing side of the company, we know that's that's taken care of. It's about articulating that value and making sure that, you know, our distribution is in place such that we can articulate that value. Mm. And so for us, you know, whether it's media and making sure that we are promoting the launch and the stories or manufacturing where we have all of our media partners ready for that launch. And now it's a matter of the assets. And so, you know, how are we telling the story of this part of the business? And do we have those beautiful assets to show people what it is they can expect from these lines? 
So it's really about adding value, making sure that you're adding value, and then making sure that you're showing that value in the appropriate, not only format, but place and time and making sure that you're exactly. So under watch entertainment, you have a lot of different products, a lot of different things that you're marketing. Do you, when you're looking at, when you're sharing the information on social media, does the approach differ by what it is that you're promoting? And if so, how? Yeah. So I think that, you know, there's a couple things we think about, right? One is there are different areas of our portfolio and different media areas of our portfolio might have varying audiences. And so one thing might resonate more with one audience than the other. Um, And so, you know, I might work with the magazine on language or storytelling that might differ from the daytime show, for example. Um, And then in terms of the assets themselves, um, you know, thinking through, you know, where it is that we are telling these stories, you know, um, it may be the case that one area of the portfolio performs better on one social network than another. And Mm -hmm. so we have to play to that distribution and make sure that the assets we're creating are crafted for those networks in mind. And so when you're looking at all of the uh, different areas of your portfolio, are is what you're measuring for success on social media the same? Is it always, and do you find that you're always looking to get one thing? Is it is it always reach? Is it engagement? Is it traffic? Yeah, no, I think it definitely differs. I could give you a really good example here. Great. You know, one thing might be, you know, if we're, launching a new product that is direct to commerce and we're selling that product, our metric for success is going to be sales. And so what's wonderful here is it's our product. It's, you know, our retail. And so we can measure that success in that way. But if we are at Feedback, our music festival, and we've introduced Snapchat filters, for example, we're not going to be measuring. Well, we're not going to be measuring very much if we're. (laughs) Yeah. But we know that going in, right? For us, we know that this is a festival environment where there are going to be more millennials than we generally get to interact with. And so we're creating something fun that we know they can play with. It's an introduction to us and our brand, though they probably already have some relationship. And it's a chance for us to do something that we know is not going to be very measurable, but it's appropriate and it's fun. Right. Not always as measurable, but certainly very memorable. I think. Exactly. I really think that they, that taps into something at live events that we haven't seen in a long time. I think it's pretty incredible actually to watch. Absolutely. And then, you know, there's another side of this too, which is we're not always selling product. We're not always just having fun. There's, there's a middle ground, which is, you know, we're creating content and we want that content to reach our fans. And so of course, scale and, you know, um, likes and favorites are a huge part of that, you know, generally growing, um, that audience base is going to be really important. So you obviously have been immersed in this space a long time. When you get home and it's the end of the day and you and Adam are there and you're, you're at home, are you on social media or are you off? And obviously I know you're home with the baby too. So it, but sometimes <laughs> that, that even adds for more. You could be taking more pictures and sharing them, but are you on or off at home? Do you turn it off? 
It's a real mix. We used to have a no phone policy at dinner, which is mostly my fault because I'm very distractible. Okay. Uh, and now that no, that no phone policy is essentially a joke because at dinner we're with our daughter, Bella, right. and we take these hysterical videos because our favorite thing ever is food. And so if we're at dinner, we're likely taking pictures and videos and capturing that time with her. Outside of that, you know, a lot of our time at home is spent catching up on the news, reading our feeds, looking at Facebook, seeing what people are sharing. Um, For me, a big part of that consumption personally is Facebook and Snapchat. I know for Adam, a big part of it is Reddit um, and his his other feeds. So there's definitely a difference in the way we consume and where we consume. But the point is you're both consuming. Oh, we are definitely. Lots and lots. Yes. Content consumption at all times. I absolutely love it. And Sharon, where should people connect with you if they want to connect or tell you what a great job you did or have any questions based off of the interview? Uh, They can connect with me on Twitter. Um, or LinkedIn. I am Sharon Fetter on both. Awesome. Sharon, thank you so much for being on the show. What a great opportunity to talk to you live because I'm telling you, I I will never forget that moment when you were proposed to on, on stage and I was like, she's just incredible. It was awesome. That is wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com.